Did perimenopause or menopause catch you off guard? Weird symptoms appearing from nowhere? Wondering who is this person who's inhabiting your body? And most of all, having no one to talk to about it? It happened to me, too. And with all the chaos that it was causing me, I knew I had to figure it out. I dug in, reading often outdated books and searching obscure references on the internet. I learned how our shifting reproductive hormones mess with every cell in our bodies. And as I realized how complete this hormonal disruption was, I became determined to help other women understand and control their own menopause journey. Because menopause matters. And here, we talk about all things menopause. I'm your host, Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters, the podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Jean Andrus, and I am your host here at Menopause Matters, the podcast. Today, we are talking and diving into relationships and how they shift for us during perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. And I have my good friend, Sharon Pope. Sharon is a wife, a good friend, a stepmother, a grandma, just two sweet grandsons, an aunt, a great aunt, a sister, a daughter, and a mama to two very spoiled miniature golden doodles, Leo and Luna, who we might hear from during this podcast episode if somebody dares to ring the doorbell at Sharon's house. She values truth, compassion, and freedom. But then we get into the professional Sharon, and Sharon is a certified master life coach helping women get the tools they need to improve, heal, or release their struggling marriages. She is a seven-time international best-selling author on love and relationships. She's been published dozens of times in various publications, including the New York Times, and she's just getting started. Sharon, welcome. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Jean. This is really special. I am so happy to be talking to you and so happy that this conversation happened is actually happening while it's being played in a couple of, in a few weeks. This is actually, conversation is actually happening just after Ian kind of went through her area. And fortunately, Sharon was not touched in uh, the Tampa area in Florida. So when we talk about hurricanes and make the references to hurricanes, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Sharon, welcome. It's so good to talk to you. Great to be here. So let's talk relationships. And you and I have talked many times about how our relationships shift and change and sometimes fall apart. And often it takes a lot of work to get them back together if we want, if that's what we want. So I know that probably your top selling book is Stay or Go, right? Yeah. And So you're all about is making that decision from a place of power as or empowerment as to what you want to do with your life now that you've recognized that your relationship isn't what it used to be. Right. And to be honest, like coming into your 40s and certainly into your 50s is a time when a lot of people will start to question what do they want for the second half of their life? And do they want it to be the way that it is now or what they wanted for the first half of their life. And so there's lots of question marks that come up. 
And it's a real, it's a transitionary time for us, as you well know. But, you know, as I know, we're going to get into a little bit. It's also, I think our whole generation is in a time of real massive change in terms of what it means to be a woman of our age. (laughs) A woman of a certain age. Age. (laughs) And I talk a lot in my book. I talk a lot in my podcast. I talk a lot everywhere that women have this, have a hormonal bent or predisposition to be more nurturing and caregiving and people pleasing because that allows us or allowed us as we evolved into the humans we are today, that allowed us to create a safe physical space to raise our children. So we had other people around us that were helping us to take care of us, to take care of our children take care of us when we were pregnant when or when we were pregnant and had a toddler and had a <laughs> a young person and had all of those things that were going on it gave us the ability to focus on that but now as we go into menopause we find out that that's hormonally based and that as our hormones shift we stop being the same person we stop being so focused on others and foc- and we focus more on ourselves. So how does that, how do you see that playing out in relationships? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I see it playing out where the people around us notice that we're now no longer putting everyone else's needs above our own and mm-hmm. our needs or desires or dreams for our life are actually on the table. And then they react to that say, oh, you're so selfish, or I don't even know who you are anymore. It's really, it's a transitionary time between, you know, I was willing to subjugate my needs, to put all my needs and dreams and all that on the back burner for 20, 30 years to Mm -hmm. raise my sweet little babies. But then at some point, many, many women get to that place of where they're, they're no longer willing to do that. And they're kind of irritated (laughs) that others are still Let's just take that kind of and say that that's a continuum of your, you're from a little bit irritated to freaking mad. <laughs> and it comes out looking sometimes very rebellious. Mm. I mean, we could probably have a whole show on this so we don't have to like go down the whole dark hole of it. But like the percentage of women having affairs nowadays rivals the percentage of men having affairs, 40 to 50 percent. Right. And so it can come out looking very rebellious in nature, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't necessarily have to be. So when I wrote the book that I wrote about this, which is Where is My Wife and What Have You Done With Her, which is designed to help men understand, I talk about having to renegotiate everything. Yeah. So you were, especially for those of you who were married in like I was in my early 20s mm-hmm. and going through all of these changes i think one of the hardest things for men and is that we often women's libido is so tied with our self image and our need our how the rest of the relationship is going that it often not just is the hormones helping to tank the libido, but this sense that our relationship isn't the same is tanking our libido. And I think our guys don't get that. Well, for sure they don't. I mean, even before menopausal symptoms show up, I I would say, 
I, if I had a dollar, maybe I should say if I had $10, if I had $10 for every time I saw this happen, where a woman has been questioning and wanting to, I'm just going to say evolve the marriage to a new place because it feels very stagnant. It feels very old. It doesn't feel very, it doesn't feel full of life anymore. It feels like this is just what we do and we cohabitate and we're roommates. And sometimes I don't even like you, much less love you is where it turns. And so the distance gets really wide and the resentments between one another begin to mount. And so where the woman might be like reading some things and joining different programs and listening to podcasts and seeking answers, and they go to their spouse and they're like, look, I'm not happy. I think we need to, we need to get some help with this. We need, you know, we might need therapy. We might need coaching. We might need whatever, read this book. And he's like, now we're fine. And then she keeps trying and keeps trying, keeps raising that red flag. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. You're just overreacting. You're just hormonal. Are you just hormonal? Like, (laughs) right? And so the problem is you're not hormonal anymore. It's changing. (laughs) So then after years of pain and heartache and resentments and all this stuff, she might finally come to a decision of where she's like, okay, the best next answer for me is to unwind this marriage and do it as peacefully as possible. And all of a sudden he is like on to forehead, like, what are you talking about? I never saw this coming. One of my clients' husbands said, you should have said it louder. I think we talked, we talked one time about subtlety and men not getting it. (laughs) Well, they're very direct in the way that they communicate where women, we speak in subtleties. And we get that. But that's one of the ways that men and women have a difficult time communicating because we're not very direct. Men are very direct. We love subtleties and want to talk through all the ins and outs. They don't. They don't. There's a lot there. I feel like there's so much in terms of where we're at today, mm-hmm. just call it like as a culture and as women today. Like we don't, me at 50, I'm not like my mom was at 50 or my grandmother was at 50. I'm just not. And I bet a lot of your listeners would feel the same way where it's like, right. no, I want to do things. I want to create things. I want to go see places and experience things. And I want to feel alive. I'm, I don't want to just coast into the grave and continue subjugating my needs for another 50 years. I don't want to. I know my mother, when she was my age, so I'm now coming up looking at 67 in just a month or two. I'm going out and going uh, running marathons and half marathons. I don't run marathons. And doing kayaking, and I want to jump out of out of a plane again. You might and want to write a book. You might want to start a podcast. <laughs> might want to start a podcast. Right. I'm, I'm still writing. I'm still active. And she was just, I want to retire. I want to stop. I want to slow down. And it's just not the same. Where, and part of that is when I look at, you know, when I I spend a lot of time looking at sort of how menopause has evolved through the ages. And back 10,000 years ago, when menopause was starting to be a thing that was helping humans get to the next stage, the survival rate into menopause was probably around 10 to 20 percent, no more. And the reason that happened was because childbirth was so dangerous, famine was so common, accidents were so deadly. And so it's just been in the past maybe 100 to 200 years where way more of us are surviving into this 
age and we're surviving longer and we're healthy longer. If right. we take the steps to be healthy, we can stay healthy well into our 70s. I'm going to tell you into what. Into our 80s. <laughs> when the vows till death do us part were created, the yeah. average lifespan was like late 30s to or like mid 40s for women. Late 30s for men, early to mid 40s for women. Now, when we say till death do us part, we're talking like 70 years, 80 years. Like, <laughs> yes. And so what you wanted when you were in your 20s is not going to look anything like what you want from your relationship in your 50s. I promise you. So it does have to evolve. It does have to be renegotiated. It has and, then, and so important is that negotiation, is that taking into account who we are. And I love the fact that that some people are staying together and evolving together and yes. finding a new path that works, uh, but it takes work. Where does but, that work start? And it's also a surprise that, wait a minute, we, like, we should be coasting from here on out. It should be easy. No, it gets harder because you're not the same person and therefore your needs aren't the same. Right. They were when you got married and we are not flash frozen the day we get married. I know everyone like resists change and you've changed and you're so selfish and all this. Guess like, what? Menopause is going to change you. <laughs> but I mean, we're going to. And he's, let, let me just. You. Hurricanes change you. <laughs> a child changes you. Going through bankruptcy or losing a job changes you. Like life changes you. Right. Let's not forget that men's hormones are changing too. They change differently. Yes. They change more slowly. Yes. But. Andropause is a thing. It huh? this change in testosterone levels, so that men are not their their needs, their desires, their goals are not always changing, or are, are not always what they were 10, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. No, and actually, like when men are in their 50s and 60s, I read that their hormonal change is like if they were in their 20s and 30s, they were like the red sports car. From a hormonal per metaphorical perspective, <laughs> they're in their fifties and sixties. They're sort of like the luxury sedan, and they're the closest that they will ever be to mirroring some of female hormones in terms of how it shows up in your life. But right. yeah, right. And yet, in their late forties, early fifties, sometimes you get that shot of "I'm going to be a little boy again. I'm going to go buy the red Miata, that sports car," um, and it's sort of this. Um, and that's often when they turn to much younger women. That happens. Well, but think about why any of that is happening. We haven't renegotiated. We haven't been clear about what it is that we need and desire. And our partners are not mind readers. And so it feels easier. They're not? <laughs> <laughs> and so it feels easier to just not have the conversation, not have the difficult conversations. And I can't tell you how many times women will say to me, Sharon, I hear what you're saying and I get it intellectually. I just don't even know what I need because I haven't had my needs on my agenda since I was my, a teenager. Yeah. Right. So actually it's right around puberty is when we shift our whole focus and the needs that we have as a teenager or what we think are our needs are often the needs of our hormones. Let's, let's find that partner. Let's find that. Well, I always say like, I've never met anyone in their twenties or early thirties. When I ask them, what is it that you want in a partner where they would say, you know what I want? I want passion and adventure and a lot. No, they don't say that. They say, I want a good man to raise a family with. 
I want someone who shares my values. And they end up getting that. Mm -hmm. But then when their needs change and what they want is more, more aliveness, more passion, more things that are interesting to them and challenge them in new ways. That's when you've got to rename the marriage. It's not never about going back to where you were. If you're in a struggling marriage, it's always about what do we need to do to evolve if we're going to remain together? And this is why I will often say, and it's, I know controversial. I don't care. I think it's true. Divorce should always be an option on the table. Because if divorce isn't an option on the table, then you have no ability to set healthy boundaries for yourself because there are no deal breakers then. Yeah. So it's fine that you get to this place and you're like, okay, I need to reevaluate. You don't necessarily have to knee jerk and blow it up or make, you know, decisions that just heap on more troubles, like getting into affairs and stuff like that. Like it doesn't, it, it just creates more problems that now we have to overcome if we're going to stay together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have to evolve. The relationship has to evolve. And this is another place where I feel like where our parents had very clearly defined roles, but not a lot of freedom. We have a lot of freedom. We don't have any role clarity anymore. You're right. right. And so we're dealing with all of these things kind of coming together at once, where not only are we changing hormonally and our needs and desires are changing, but then we're also in this big transitionary period where 70, let me give you the exact stat. I wrote it down. 70% of divorces are being initiated by women. And that was in 2015, before COVID, (laughs) before, right? So it's got to be more than that now. And if the woman was college educated, that number jumps to 90% of divorces that are being initiated are being initiated by women today. That was not the case in my mother's generation. One generation It's huge. And there was a study done by AARP that said 66% of divorces for women over 50 are being initiated by women. So they're very much like, I'm going to take control of my life. I'm going to create what it is that I want to create. Exactly. And what I had, the way we were, that doesn't fit who I am today and who I'm becoming tomorrow. Right. So true. Absolutely so true. Often I talk about this as, you know, if you take the things that are in the center of our lives, well, in our 20s, in our 30s, even into our early 40s, those things are our jobs, our husbands, our spouses, our kids, maybe our community, maybe a special project or some special passion. But when we get into this perimenopause, menopausal, postmenopausal age, We want to take and we want to put ourselves right there in the center. It's just not been there. And so we we need to look at who we want to be and we get to choose. That's the cool thing is we get to choose who we want to be. And then we get to choose who we're, who's going to walk along that path with us. Right. And maybe sometimes it's just a matter of telling the truth about it. Like the woman that you want to be is not what I signed up for. And maybe I don't want that anymore, right? It goes both ways. In order to get there and tell the truth, we've got to first tell the truth to ourselves and then show up in the relationship as authentically as we possibly can. Oh, so good. They're so really good. Oh, let's see. There's so many places we could go with this. Well, let's talk about, like one of the things that I, we talked briefly about freedom versus roles, right? Uh, Right. So my mom, in her generation. So she stayed home with us until I went to kindergarten. I'm the youngest. And so once I went to kindergarten, then she went back to work. 
So that was really, and that was the seventies. Okay. So that was when there was a whole women's liberation movement that is still happening, right? Of where we wanted an equal seat at the table and we wanted equal pay. And we're still, we're still trying for that. that. (laughs) But if you think about it, so there were laws passed in the seventies that said a woman can have her own checking account. Like Mm -hmm. that seems ridiculous to us today, but that was the seventies. And just because the banks were told you should offer women checking accounts and loans and credit cards, they didn't actually want to do it. I have a good friend. She's 64. Mm -hmm. Sharon, when I was 32 years old, I was making a great living in real estate. And I was making, I think she told me it was around like $38,000 a year. And she wanted to buy a home that was $36,000. Her father had to co-sign that loan for her. Wow. That's one generation ago. She's younger than I am. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, and even if you wanted to get divorced, because divorce was legal, especially if you could prove like that he had hit you or that he had, you know, like there was abuse or there was cheating or something like that to be a a reason. I remember when no fault divorce started getting passed, I think out in California first, and then in a few other States that Mm -hmm. no fault divorce was just something you didn't do because that meant the social, like the ostracizing that takes place. Right. So even though you technically could get divorced, it really wasn't practical. And by the way, how are you going to take care of the kids, especially if you've got to go back to work now? So now today, yep, we can get a credit card, we can get a checking account, we can get a loan, we can do all these things, (laughs) but we don't have clear role definitions about like, here's what I'm bringing to this relationship and here's what you're bringing. Because I don't know, thousands of centuries, women needed men for providing and protecting. Right. Now we're not in grave danger every single day. And we don't necessarily need men for providing. So what's the role here? And that's a whole dynamic that we have to start talking more and more about if we want our relationships to last anyway. Right. And I think we don't think that through. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't think about defining those roles because back in our 20s, you're right. We don't talk about wanting passion and all because we have it. It's built into our biology that we are, you know, we have the passion, we have the sex, we have, you know. Well, and everything's still new. And yeah, (laughs) everything's still new, but I'm sorry. Like, I think my husband is super handsome. Yeah, he is. (laughs) I I still don't like now, 10 years later, I don't look at him and my clothes just want to magically pop off. Like that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I've got to tend to my own fire now. And that was something that I wish someone would have told me is that when you don't tend to your own fire, that energy goes out, that fire goes out. When you don't tend to the desire inside the relationship, that goes out. And so then you're left as roommates who care about each other, who maybe even love each other, but you're having a hard time now connecting given where you are today yeah, and where he is and what you think marriage should look and feel like and what he thinks marriage should look and feel like. Yes. And you know what? We shoot, we did not come into marriage with any tools and certainly no one gave us any tools to navigate this stuff. So we end up in a really struggling place going, do I stay or do I go? That's wonderful stuff. And Sharon, how can somebody who is in this place or in the place where they want to get the tools to rebuild their relationship, where can they find that stuff from you? Because I know you have a whole, t- I got a whole bunch of toolkits. <laughs> I got a bunch. 
bunch. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend that they go to stayorgobook.com. That's where you can mm-hmm. grab my book, Stay or Go. And um, it's one of the best ones I've ever written, for sure. So it will be hugely helpful for you. And then I also just wrote another one. And this one is a freebie. So you can just go download it. It's called Three Things Women Want Men to Know for Men and the Women Who Love Them. And you can get it at threethingstoknow.com. That's terrific. And I'm going to add because it's not usually in the show notes, but when your guy or your younger spouse, uh, if you happen to be in a same-sex marriage, uh, is wondering what the heck is going on with you. Because as Sharon said to me earlier, wow, (laughs) you've told me this for years and boy, did I not expect it. (laughs) It came out of nowhere. I was like, what happened? I don't know who that was. (laughs) So I wrote the book, Where Is My Wife? And What Have You Done With Her? Sharon wrote the foreword to it. And uh, that is available to you if you go out to Menopause Matters podcast slash Where Is My Wife? Uh, That will be in the show notes as well. And you can order a copy of that from me. Sharon, it has been delightful. Thank you so much for making time in your schedule to talk with me and wishing you the best of luck as Tampa recovers from the visit from the very aggressive Ian. Yes. Um, Well, I just want to say thank you really for the important work that you do in this world because as women, we don't have enough access to information about what's happening in our bodies and how to deal with it. And so the more we can talk about it, the better. Thank you so much for coming today. Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Menopause has many annoying symptoms, but not many are worse than the lack of sleep. If you are one of the 90% of women who suffer from menopausal insomnia and or fatigue, I'd love to offer you my free download, Five Tips to Get Better Sleep Tonight. You can get it at menopausematterspodcast.com slash sleep. And let me know which of these tips works best for you. 